Friday, January 17th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Graham Ambrose of the Quad City Times is joining us today. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. And Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James, and happy Blizzard weekend, everybody. <laughs> Brace yourselves. <laughs> You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, our weekly uh, feature, State of the Race. 20 days before the first in the nation Iowa caucuses, Democratic candidates gathered in Des Moines to hash out the important issues such as who was the shortest president, the name of the governor of Kansas, and whether a woman can be elected president. The answers: James Madison, who cares, and uh, time will tell. <laughs> While some of us watch the dogfight in Des Moines from the comfort of our couches, Aaron and on Iowa politics newcomer Graham Ambrose were in the trenches in the media filing center and on the streets surrounding the Drake campus. Aaron, um, give us a report from the front lines. Was this the, the calm, rational, political discussion Iowans are accustomed to, or, or was this the theater of the absurd? Well, it, it was mostly the calm, rational, political discussion, other than the... Um um, untelevised but hot mic um, uh, um, discussion before the event between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren where <laughs> they're uh, kind of little tête-à-tête uh, -tete over um, whether Bernie said that a woman uh, couldn't become couldn't win the this uh, election um, kind of spilled over on the debate stage there um, but other than that um, the debate itself uh, was was pretty timid, including the extension of that discussion. So, so Elizabeth Warren approached Benny, Bernie Sanders before the uh, debate, but uh, once the cameras were actually rolling and 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 the mics were on as they were supposed to be, um, they kind of both backed off from that, both mostly trying to downplay that. Now neither, um, you know, changed their message on that. Elizabeth Warren insists Bernie Sanders did say that. Bernie Sanders insists he didn't. But beyond that, uh, that didn't really um, evolve into much. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, you know, I think some of us went into the debate wondering if um, some of the candidates who are trying to, to climb the ladder, like Amy Klobuchar or, or Tom Steyer, would go on the attack against some of the leaders. That didn't happen. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of um, there wasn't a whole lot of contentious debate. It was it was a pretty straight um, uh, policy to debate. Uh, I saw a lot of people calling that boring um it maybe doesn't make great tv um but but uh it, it was it was a pretty low-key uh discussion uh, hopefully it helped voters that's the ultimate goal of this anyways right it's not to generate um you know uh, uh, the gladiators tv show it's just to generate a, a discussion that helped <laughs> inform voters uh, whether it did that or not um i guess remains to be seen, I, I don't know that to, 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 to my, from my viewpoint, anyways, whether any answer really leapt off the page. I, I think it was probably one of those nights where, if you had your mind made up already or were leaning pretty strongly, your candidate didn't do anything to change your mind. You're still probably feeling good about that candidate. And if you didn't have your mind made up, and if you're hoping for someone to really leap off the page or really say something that helped move the needle for you, that probably didn't happen either so I, I i don't know as very few debates do we see over history i, I don't know that this one uh changed a whole lot in this race 
So we all would have been better off spending our time catching a b- basketball game or uh, the latest uh, Hallmark Channel movie or <laughs> <laughs> another cooking show. The debate was right next to the Drake basketball stadium. I should have walked next door and seen if anybody was playing there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, Graham, you were outside uh, Drake uh, Auditorium. Uh, what was the scene like out there? Yeah, so Aaron and I arrived at Drake relatively early on on the debate day. Uh, so we got to see campus before and after the sort of storm of the debate. And you could feel a very powerful debate energy all over campus. Uh, in kind of the early afternoon hours, it was this false, eerie calm, you know, the, the kind that you feel in a place that's about to be hit by a tornado. Um, and on campus, you know, I was talking to students, and everyone seemed pretty invested, interested in the debate. It was clear that this was the talk of town. But I also had time to step off campus and go door-to-door in the neighborhood just south of Drake, uh, where life was pretty much business as usual. I mean, people were running errands, shoveling snow, picking up kids from school, uh, just, you know, a few hundred feet from where six of the most powerful and influential people in the world were about to gather. Uh, and I think it's just always a good reminder. I mean, if you, if you cover politics, it's easy to think that politics are everything, that they're first of mind and the only thing people kind of talk about and think about. But uh, it's, you know, quite humbling to meet Iowans, even at the kind of epicenter of the political world right now, who just aren't paying attention. Uh, and I'll never forget, I was in the neighborhood just south of Drake, and I saw a woman walking to her house a few blocks away from campus. And I went up to her and introduced myself, and I asked, you know, who she was supporting for president. She said, oh, you know, I, I want the woman to win. So I said, you know, which woman is that? Wh- which one? And she said, kind of her face kind of furrowed she looked kind of surprised and she said there's more than one woman running that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well there's there's one happy voter out there i guess <laughs> yeah we're at that point in the campaign cycle where we get these stories that like people are seeing candidates for the first time and we've been seeing these people for a year or longer, and it's it's hard to imagine that this is just the first time um, that a person is tuning in to the campaign. But uh, there are people out there who have um, real lives and jobs and families that come first, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it, it was interesting. This morning I ran into a guy who is very politically active. I see him at campaign events. He's endorsed one candidate, but he goes to pretty much every event. And he told me, he said, yeah, I'm kind of getting to the point now where I'm saying if I've seen him once, I'm not going to go see him again. And and it was like, oh, my gosh, this guy is burning out, uh, you know, two and a half weeks before the caucuses. (laughs) It's like, no, you got to push through. You got to push through. (laughs) But um, I I, I can I can see where he's coming from after seeing these people for, Mm -hmm. you know, dozens of times. But um, going back to the debate, there was a lot of talk about this being a debate that mattered because it was the last debate before the caucuses, because Vermont Bernie Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren were going to have it out, um, because Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar and California businessman Tom Steyer needed to break out. For my money, the debate really didn't live up to that advanced billing. Warren and Sanders... Um, didn't spill any blood uh, until they had their little uh, uh, conversation. And um, Bernie denied saying a woman couldn't win, but uh, Warren never really um, 
Well, she was never really asked directly whether or not he said that or not, and she pivoted away from that to talk about how successful she and Amy Klobuchar have been winning elections. Um, Pete Buttigieg, I think, must have stopped out, stepped outside to vape or something because he seemed to disappear from the conversation for long stretches, and Klobuchar and Steyer seemed to quickly fall back on their well-worn lines. Um, and Aaron, uh, as you alluded to earlier, the real debate uh highlight of the debate was when sanders tried to shake warren's hand and and she accused him of you know or asked him if he had you know did you call me a liar on national television and and, and then sort of the the absurd part is tom steyer standing there and later saying like oh i didn't hear a thing i'm just here for the ranch uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah jim jim i gotta share an anecdote on that so we're in the spin room afterwards where usually just surrogates come out, but, but a couple of candidates came out because they did um, cable TV hits, um, and those folks were set up out there right near the spin room too. So Tom Steyer comes out. And now look, this is Tom Steyer's rising in the polls. He's, he's, he's been an interesting candidate. He obviously qualified for the debate, but he's still far from the leaders of the field. And despite that, Tom Steyer just gets enveloped by media <laughs> rushing to hurry to him to a scrum. And it was only because everybody wanted to ask him what Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren said to each other because he was standing right there. Nobody nobody had any interest in how, how Tom Steyer thought he did in the debate. He got the <laughs> biggest media scrum of the night because people wanted to get his fly on the wall um, relay. And, and he oh, didn't boy. hear a thing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he just, yep, yep. Aaron, uh, or, uh, Graham, sorry. Um, thoughts about winners and losers? Were there winners and losers uh, in this debate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think overall it's sort of a status quo antebellum. I think most of the candidates probably maintained sort of the narrative that they had going into the debate. Really, as, as Aaron said, the big story from my perspective was the spat, or I guess the ongoing spat, between uh, the Sanders and Warren camp. And yeah, just, just to dwell on that a bit more, um, you know, Aaron and I, as we said, were in the, the press filing room, which was sort of the spin room after the debate. And during the debate itself, when, you know, Senator Sanders was asked about his alleged remark that a woman won't be elected. Uh, you could kind of hear everyone hush down in the room. I mean, everyone was was watching. It was sort of the moment that so many knew was was coming. Uh, and then from kind of my vantage point, and I think certainly from the vantage point of kind of the national press corps, the responses seemed to deflate the situation at least a little. Um, it felt like the tension was mostly broken. You know, they both kind of got their piece out. Uh, it seemed maybe Warren had gotten the final word, and that was that. And uh, you know, in the spin room after the debate, it, it seems kind of too like the a lot of the journalists were satisfied that the story had run its course. And then, you know, as Aaron said, people started, you know, literally whispering that there was this video on Twitter of Warren confronting Sanders on the debate stage. Uh, and, you know, the whispers started to become just open talk. And then by the time, you know, Tom Steyer came out, everyone was screaming at him, you know, what, 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 what was said, what was said, tell us what was said between, you know, Warren and Sanders. Uh, and it was so fascinating because you could literally see, hear, and then feel this story that minutes ago felt dead just come back to life with full force. Um, and, and so to, you know, answer the actual question, 
it, it seems to me that that is the big story from the debate and how their you know, fissure on the left represents a larger rift. Uh, and it, it, it's hard for me to see how either candidate will benefit, although um, you know, ultimately the, the caucuses will, will sort of adjudicate that. Yeah, it, what's always interesting to me it, too is, I and mean, here you have Steyer, as you talked about. You know, he needs to break out. There's some movement in the polls that it, it, this could have been his moment, and nobody cares about anything he had to say. It's just tell us what they said. Tell us what they said. Uh, he's just sort of this like bit player in a in a bigger drama, and it's it's the so often the case for the, those struggling uh, down, you know, people down in the polls who who need that moment, and, and the only attention they get is for something really uh, that un, uh, unrelated to them. It's for some other reason that they get the attention. But uh, that's the, the crazy political world. Uh, of course, the debate wasn't the only thing going on in the campaign this week. Hey, Jim. Jim. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, I'm sorry. I Just really quick before we move on, uh, I want to add one winner or loser um from the debate uh, and this may be a betrayal of loyalty to the brand but i can't help it um <clears throat> i thought the winner of the debate was brianne fansdale of the des moines register um who uh i loved the job she did as a moderator and uh was was um did did a good job of getting some iowa angles into some of her questions that she asked um and uh was fantastic at keeping the um uh, candidates on their agreed to speaking time um, more aggressive in that than I saw you know, even Wolf Blitzer or some of the other um, panelists and some of these other debates have been. I thought Brianne did a fantastic job, and I, I just wanted to uh, mention her quick here. Yeah, I, I think I want to uh, nominate her to run our staff meetings in, in the future. Uh, <laughs> keep things moving. <laughs> moving right along. Uh, Amy, you had uh, perhaps the most interesting week covering not only Democrat Michael Bennett, who, if you didn't know, is still competing in Iowa, and Joe Biden, surrogate John Kerry, but also Republican William Weld. Other than uh, wanting to beat President Donald Trump, was there any uh, common denominator in their messages? while fellow moderate Biden is topping the field. So I guess we'll see if 
Bennett gets that breakout of undecideds or not, obviously John Kerry hopes those moderate voters swing to Biden's camp because recent polls show that they do seem to be. But they're really not only pushing the beat Trump angle, but also the Iran Iran missteps angle. I think that's what Biden campaign considers to be a winning strategy. I saw a TV ad the other day that was showing they're really pushing the Iran angle. So it'll be interesting if that strategy works. You know, you don't hear a ton of foreign policy voters around, but I mean, it could put some leaners over the edge. Could put a lot of us over the edge. <laughs> the other, the other big news from uh, Waterloo this week was that uh, Mayor Quinton Hart endorsed uh, fellow former Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Um, Amy, that must have been um, sweet for Buttigieg to get that endorsement of a black mayor, just as he's the criticism uh, of him for his lack of support among the African American community and his interactions with African Americans in South Bend have become more of a news story. So uh, this must be a, sort of an important endorsement for him. Oh, yeah. I'm, on Wednesday, he came to Cedar Falls. He was at UNI and brought not only uh, Mayor Quentin Hart, but also former Representative Deb Barry, who is uh, the longest-serving black legislator in the state. So he's very much pushing that. And I talked to Mayor Hart after the event about that. You know, just what does he think about, you know, his missteps in this arena, and Hart kept talking about the first conversations that he had with Buttigieg about a year and a half ago. Um, they met through a mayor's group that they're both a part of, and he said they sat down and had like a half-hour conversation just about black communities and minority communities and, and what they were both doing. And he really likes, I also think, the fact that South Bend is sort of like Waterloo, labeled a dying city, you know, a couple decades ago because of the um, industry that left. And they're having to bring these cities back. So I think, you know, they're sort of bonding over really shared experiences. And so whether or not he, you know, takes that seriously or not, I think that he really does take seriously the fact that they're sort of in a similar position and he can sort of identify with us. That's interesting. Um, Graham, you've been working on an ambitious uh, caucus project, sort of rounding up the candidates' positions on various issues. And, and much of the framing of this campaign has been the progressives versus the moderates. And I'm wondering, as you do this, are you finding significant differences between the candidates when you drill down on the issues and, and what they're actually proposing? Yeah, so our project looked at the sort of big, you know, policy domains uh, for the top five polling candidates in Iowa. So my generalizations don't account for lower polling candidates like Tulsi Gabbard or sort of ideological, you know, wild cards like Andrew Yang. Uh, with that said, the stated policy positions of the top five candidates are more similar than different on most issues. Yes, there are you know, very important and noteworthy differences, uh, but the candidates are more closely aligned with one another than they are, say, with you know, the average Republican. Um, and many, in some cases, their policies actually sound quite similar. I mean, for instance, you know, all of the top five candidates think marijuana should be at least decriminalized. Actually, most of them probably didn't think it should be legalized. Um, you know, they all think universal background checks should be implemented, mandatory minimums should be eliminated, the minimum wage should be $15, on and on and on. The two main, you know, areas of difference are healthcare and the environment. Um, we could talk for hours on each, uh, but as you said, it, it, largely it is a story of the progressives against the moderates. Um, on healthcare, you know, Biden and Klobuchar want to build on the Affordable Care Act, whereas Sanders and Warren proponents of Medicare for all. On the environment, the moderates and the progressives mostly differ on timeline. Uh, Senator Sanders and Senator Warren want to reach net zero emissions by 2030, which 
you know, even many climate activists think is hugely ambitious, and the moderates want net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, moderates also want a carbon tax, whereas Sanders and Warren want pretty strict government regulation. So, um, you know, in the context of the primary and of the caucuses, it's easy to sort of look at these candidates and think that they're offering, you know, wildly different visions of society. And in some cases, they, they might be. But in general, they're actually pretty much on the same page for a lot of the kind of issues that I think Americans are looking toward. Interesting. You can, you can see those um, comparisons at the Quad Cities or QCTimes.com, right? I think that's the right address, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to shift gears here and talk about the Iowa legislature convening this week. Um, although it was the, the first week is heavy on housekeeping and formalities, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds rolled out her Invest in Iowa agenda that includes plans to lower income taxes and property taxes, fund mental health, and fill the outdoor recreation trust. Aaron, um, you had a, a front row seat at the Condition of the State uh, speech, well, or, or more of a, a side view from the press bench, I guess. Um, for the most part, this was pretty well received but did it seem like there was a lack of enthusiasm for what she was proposing? Yeah, um, yeah and, and whether it's a lack of enthusiasm or maybe just some general caution. Um, it was a very ambitious um, agenda that the governor laid out, um, and, and I think that was reflected when you talk to, to lawmakers about what can get done and how that can get done. I think there was immediate recognition of just how ambitious that agenda was. Um, you listed off those things, the sales tax, um, the funding, the natural resources fund, giving state uh, a, the biggest share of mental health care funding, tax cut income and property tax cuts. Um, I, I feel like I'm even still missing one. You take any one of those things, and that is an issue that could dominate a normal legislative session and may or may not get done by the end. And she, the governor proposed about four or five of those things all rolled into to one big package. So it is, uh, uh, to use a phrase right from uh, new speaker Pat Grassley, it's a heavy lift, without a doubt. And I think that's what you heard in the voices of those lawmakers, that um, there was just a lot of caution, you know, some some let's pump the brakes here a little bit, um, if not um, outright um, um, lack of enthusiasm. I, 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 and and I, I think they're all policies, and a lot of them even have bipartisan support, some of these proposals. Um, but just just knowing the legislative process knowing what it will take there will be interest groups that will get involved um there will be lawmakers from different areas of the state that will have different feelings um not even just broadly on these topics when you get in an, into the minutiae of them um there's just as one quick example you talk about the resources the natural resources funding everybody wants to do something on that but then they talk about also changing the formula well once you do that now you've got Farmers, environmental groups, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, conservation groups, everybody's going to get involved and have a say in that. Th th this becomes a really complex thing immediately. So it's just – it was a very ambitious agenda, and, and it's, it's, it's a lot to do. Nobody's saying it can't be done, but uh, like, uh, like you asked, there, there was some – you could hear – the hesitation in the voices of lawmakers. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just how much of that big pizza that they have an appetite for uh, during this session. Uh, 
if if we had a dollar for every time uh, one of the lawmakers said, "Well, the devil's in the details," uh, Reynolds could fund her plans. Um, <laughs> right. And it was that sort of a reaction. <laughs> and and Aaron, as you mentioned, all of this is kind of rolled up into one package that really depends on raising the sales tax by one cent. And do you think majority Republicans can round up 51 votes in the House and 26 in the Senate to pass a sales tax increase in an election year? <laughs> not not easily, and that's why you hear, um, especially on the Senate side, uh, and I think there's agreement on the House side, but especially from the Senate side, you hear leaders like Jack Whitford and, and Charles Snyder saying, if we're going to – whatever we're going to do, it has to have a, an overall net – tax reduction. So in other words, if we're going to raise a one cent sales tax, we're going to lower taxes elsewhere so we can go to Iowans, um, parentheses, um, translation, so we can go on the campaign trail um, and tell people that we actually lowered taxes. Um, there's no way you're going to get this done uh, with just the sales tax increase and everything else without also having something that lowers taxes. You won't get enough Republicans to agree to that. And even still, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, because when the governor rolled out her budget package, um, it uh, nets out to an overall tax reduction for Iowa of just $7 million. And to put that in perspective, that's in an $8 billion general fund budget. So <laughs> I think there are probably some people saying, like, we're going to do all this and all we're getting is $7 million in tax reduction. Um, it, it seems like it's a big ask for a small uh, amount of tax reduction, and I think that, like you said, is going to be hard to sell to some um, sort of the anti-tax uh, increase Republicans, people who have taken a pledge not to raise taxes, and especially in an election year. Well, if nothing else, uh, between the caucuses and the legislative session, we'll have plenty to talk about on future editions of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time today. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Matthew Maybanks will take us out today. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Graham, Aaron, Amy, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.
So free. So free. So free. 